This is your host, Josh Sharp, and welcome to New Hope's Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we get a chance to talk about what didn't make it into the sermon this week and what our speaker would have liked more time to engage with. We'll also go over some questions that you might have had and generally just have a good time talking about what was on our speaker's mind. Today we're here with John Rosenstiel to talk about the sermon, How Could a Loving God Allow So Much Suffering? From the current sermon series, 10 Questions, Exploring Barriers to Our Faith. All right, thanks for coming back today, John. Great to have you here again. Um, this uh, this weekend was was heavy, man. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think I cried again. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> becoming becoming a thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, my wife. I, I think I've mentioned in previous podcast uh, will will give me helpful feedback sometimes, um, and uh, <laughs> so she. She uh, has said that you know several of the messages in this series have been have been heavy. I don't know if that's the word she's used, but yeah. And you know, I believe in lightheartedness and um, joking and laughter, and I think you know that about me. And I think that comes across in in a lot of the teaching. But when you discuss a question like suffering, and you choose to start the sermon with with a pretty uh, challenging story around suffering, it's yeah, it's it's almost inappropriate to to intersperse yeah, jokes. I, I, and, I think that's fair. You know, to say. I think there's I a <laughs> sometimes there's a tenor of, to, of of around a topic or the way you choose to engage a a topic and a message that kind of gets baked in, set in place, and it it is what it is, right? Yeah. So. I think I thought about that, and you know, you try to you try to have a few lighthearted moments, but um, this one was going to just be harder to do that. Yeah, I think for this one, it's you know, when you're, as I did Sunday, asking people to think about suffering in their own life. I think it's you know, just encouraging people to go to that place in their mind and heart is going to set a certain tone, and 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 I think that's okay. If we did that every Sunday, we'd probably have a very small church. But yeah, yeah, I think um, I think for this question, it was appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're talking about it clearly and everything. For those of you um, that need a refresher or, you know, where, where you're at on that, if you need to listen to the sermon, go back, listen to the sermon, then catch up with us on the podcast. But John, as usual, could you give us kind of a, a refresher of what the sermon did go into? Yeah. Um, the question we were addressing uh, was um, how, how could... Uh, how could God be loving in a world with so much suffering? Um, it's, it's those two ideas, right, of like uh, Christianity believes at its core that God is love, um, and yet we also see the reality of, of, of so much suffering, and, and I would add evil in the world. Yeah. So how do we bring those two things together? So that was the question we were going after, which, which I think is, for many or not most people, one of the more challenging barriers to faith. It's one of those, of all the 10 questions we're looking at, it's one that has endured. It's been there (laughs) since the beginning, and uh, every generation has to grapple with it in different ways. And, And we will continue to until Jesus comes and, as we believe, makes all things right. So it's it's hard to do a series like this without addressing that question. So yeah, so we uh, I I opened the sermon uh, talking about a, a a tragedy I had to walk with a family through um, about a, a decade ago, yeah. and uh, and a family uh, got hit by a car while having a picnic, and it was it was just a really crazy story. The woman having a seizure; she shouldn't have been driving, and. If I could, if, yeah, if I could give you a picture of how far the road was from where they're having a picnic, it's it's astounding. It was a large, long distance that this woman had the seizure and wow. and and had it as she continued to drive. Right, and a million and one things had to have happened precisely to have her run off the road that far and hit this family. And then um, a little boy, age seven, Aiden, was killed at the scene. And so, yeah, so I, I started the sermon with that. Um, and I think that 
the choice was, to do that was, uh, and, and I, I challenge everybody to have something, you know, hopefully hardly anybody's been through something like that, although I know there was some families here Sunday that have been through things close to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I asked somebody, everybody to think of some time in their life, and it may be right now, that they're going through suffering or, or have been through suffering, because I wanted us to consider this question um, in light of uh, our own our own journeys. So, uh, yeah, so we, we did that, and so that obviously set a, a certain tone. And then the question is, I kind of left it at the beginning of the message, all these people looking at me on that day um, at, the, at the memorial, asking why, you know, why? Why are we at a church? Why are we, this little boy, I mean, they were a wonderful family, a wonderful little boy, follower of Jesus, all that, why? So we kind of left that question hanging, and and I, I adopted a, a metaphor of a frame or framework. Yeah. Um, we look through th- most things. Other people call them paradigms or worldviews, but I just chose. So I held up a frame. And, um, and I think we have to start by, as we try to attempt to navigate this question, we start with the basic premise that suffering does exist. That's inherent in the question. Yeah. Um, and that's something that every faith, every worldview, every paradigm— um, has, has to deal with. Has to deal with. Yeah. Correct. So, um, so I, I laid out two common frameworks that I think are out there in our world today, and we don't have to spend time. People can bicker about whether they're the proper ones or there's more, or I define them correctly. <laughs> sure, but there's more, but I'm yes, sure. Yeah, I liked I liked how you did it. But yeah, so you know, the first one was the no god framework, and that's atheism and. Um, and discuss that, why that, I feel like that that is incomplete. Essentially, you can't really even call evil, evil. I and think we had, you had talked about that to a degree in a few, couple sermons back, to a degree yeah. you had touched on it. Yeah, so I think I think the first one, it kind of it saws off the branch you're sitting on. You know, if you want to try to <laughs> yeah. uh, raise your hand at injustice or say this is morally wrong or whatever, um, as an atheist, there's, there's problems. You have problems. Yeah. Uh, the second framework, I call it the karma framework, and I think there's a way we see this playing out. You know, I think most people understand the concept of karma. You behave badly, it comes back on you, or you behave good, and What comes I back found on interesting you. in this is, I, I mean, I know karma from the Eastern sense. Yeah. You had taken it uh, a little bit to the Old Testament sense. What was the term you used for that? Yeah, it's a, it's a phrase that John Walton, he's an Old Testament scholar, uses called the retribution principle. And uh, yes, I, I frame that as Judeo-Christian karma, and it's it's just it, it, it's it's most minimalistic. It's it's the idea of you know if you do good, generally good things will happen to you, and if you do bad, generally bad things will happen. Um, and so I, I think on a micro level, similar almost evolution, right? On a micro level, <laughs> that principle it does operate. It even uh, operates within. Christianity, you reap what you sow, right? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. from the Bible. We see some basic pieces of it. Correct. But yeah. I think it's the problem comes when you take it to a macro level and apply it to your relationship with God and kind of a philosophy with life, make it an ism. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's what, I, and, and that is a commonly held, probably more than the no God framework that even many Christians use when they yeah. ask the questions. I think my wife brought up that it, it reminded her a lot of the prosperity gospel. Yes, uh, yes, I think that that is that is certainly to to one ex- the far extreme. <laughs> if you do good, good things will happen to you. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great example. And um, I don't think we take it in most churches. I've been a part of to the extreme of like, oh, bad things happen. You must be a really horrible sinner. I haven't seen that a whole lot, but I think there's that there's that underbelly of that thinking, um, and it, that is pronounced in the Eastern religious mindset as it. Uh, pertains to reincarnation or whatnot. Yeah. So yeah, Walton named it that, and and I think you see it in the Book of Job. You see it in Jesus interacting with the disciples was very prevalent in first century Judaism. That yeah, thinking. yeah. There's a ton of assumptions that Jesus is dealing with. Yeah. So right Jesus this. is kind of I think, and I gave a couple examples saying that's foolishness. So um, we got to the biblical framework for suffering. That's where I spent a chunk of time, and I I use the four sides of the frame as saying there's four presuppositions or biblical ideas. God is love, and part of that is love presupposes free will. So that's why we have exist- the existence of evil and suffering, because if God was going to create a world of love, then it had to be a world of free will. It had to be a, a world where people could choose, free, it cho- 
could choose freely to not do good and do evil. Um, so God did not create evil, but he did create a world where evil had the potential to exist. And there's no, I don't, I, you know, this is high-level philosophy, and maybe philosophy students would bicker on this, but I haven't seen a good argument that you could create a world of, of true love without the potentiality of evil. Yeah. So, yeah, so as you're going through suffering, whatever it is, the first side of the biblical framework is God is love. God loves you. So, like, we, we have to, in that, I, I use Aquinas' definition of uh, willing the good of the other. So, um God's always willing our good, always willing our good. Whatever you're going through, Josh, whatever I'm going through, God's always willing our good. We have to hold in faith to that. The second side of it is God grieves with us. There's a very uh, compassionate side to God, and we talked about John 11 and Jesus weeping for his friend. And and I think, uh, you know, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so I think when we're going through hard times to see God as a God who truly is willing our good, who is weep he's a friend that is weeping with us and that's powerful that's a that's that's a really helpful image third side god shares and bears our suffering and our public reading was from isaiah 53 you can read that if you will it's a great prophetic passage on the servant uh who we believe is jesus and the messiah and the servant was wounded for our transgressions you know crushed for our iniquities by his wounds we are healed all those kind of famous verses if you grew up in church. Um, and so, yeah, that's the idea that, as as we talked about this little book, Lament for a Son by Nicholas Wolterstorff, um, his realization as he lost his son tragically is that God doesn't explain our suffering, God shares our suffering, God enters it. And I, as I said Sunday, I think it's one of the more powerful arguments for Christianity, that you have to have an answer, right, for evil and suffering. Our answer as Christians is that our God put on flesh and entered the arena, to use the Theodore Roosevelt quote. And so, um, so then the fourth side of it is, that, is, is the apocalyptic or prophetic concept that God is making all things right, that the, the, the story is not over. Now, a skeptic could say, well, that's kicking the can down the road. Sure, it, it absolutely is. Um, and yet that doesn't mean that it's not accurate. <laughs> you know. Yeah, so you could yeah. say that's a, an escapism, and I would say, well, we have three other sides of the frame that aren't escapism, um, things that have happened or are happening. But certainly part of the coherent biblical worldview is that we're, we're only, you know, imagine, imagine, you know, watching, well, your big Marvel, is it Marvel you like? I can get them all it's confused. All of, them, what yeah, all yeah. of those like <laughs> cartoons you watch. Um, I mean, can you imagine, uh, you know, just watching half the movie and being done or for people who like to read novels or, or, or stories, can you imagine, you know, any good story, right? It's a hot mess in the middle. Yeah. It's Infinity kind of a, War without Endgame. Yeah. There I don't, go. I don't even know what that, any of that means. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so I mean, it would be incomplete. Yeah. So you would, you would have a, an insufficient experience in the theater or wherever you watch your movies or an insufficient, it would, you'd be like, hey, how would you like that book? It was horrible. It was so depressing. You know? yeah. I mean, you're halfway done. So it's like you, we have to give, we have to wait to judge a story till the story is over. And uh, clearly, by any measurement, the Christian story is not over. And so uh, we have all these promises embedded in, and, and uh, if Jesus came as God promised, and if Jesus is who he was again, if Jesus rose again, if we believe that, then um, I'm willing to give him a shot to do other things that he promised yeah, he'd do. Yeah. So that, that's going and then the final little section of the, of the sermon, and, and yes, it was a long sermon if you haven't listened to it, so sorry <laughs> about that. Um, if we have that proper framework framed by those four principles— I think it equips us then to place, to, to frame our suffering, whatever we're going through, whether it be the story I shared or something you're going through, and we will. It's not if, we, we, it's when. We can frame it with those things. Then we're able to see suffering from a different perspective. Then we're able to see the things we see throughout Scripture of that suffering can be used for our good. And we have to be very precise with our language there. I'm not saying suffering is good. It's inherently not good. It's from evil and sin, yeah. but God can use it for good. And I use the recycled orchestra illustration, this yeah. this Paraguay slum town that they made instruments out of trash. And God takes the trash, i.e. the sufferings from our life and your life, 
and can use it for good. So yeah, Landfill Harmonic. Landfill yeah. Harmonic is the documentary. There's a 60-minute episode on it that's that's really fantastic. So now I could, you know, I, you'll next ask what I left on the cutting room floor. I, I know this. I know the rhythm by now. And <laughs> um, <laughs> and really any of those uh, four presuppositions or ideas that I talked about creating the frame could all be messages in and of themselves. Yeah. You know, um, they could be series. Um, so we briefly touched on, you know, God is love. God grieves with us. He bears and shares our suffering. The story is not over. Um, and with that same right, you know, the, the final two points, those could be messages or series that, you know, you, you might ask, well, how can God use suffering for good? I gave two brief examples that God uses suffering to cause us to grow. And, um, and I think that anyone who's walked with Jesus, any human on the planet, um, knows that there is a depth um, and a breadth of a person that is established as, as we go through hard things, hard times. We're, we're deepened as humans. If we respond the right way, I think sometimes suffering yeah. can cause people yeah. to become bitter and shallow. But mature people have almost always been through hard things. So we see that theme throughout Scripture. I read a few passages. There's a ton in Scripture. And again, not seeing in the right paradigm, it could seem heartless. Like Paul's like, take joy in your sufferings. You're like, what are you? Like, what's wrong with you? Are you mentally ill? Um, no, he's seeing it through the proper par- paradigm. Yeah, this right? was a guy that was in prison, in and out. And yeah, and, and he had authentic joy, which joy yeah. exists even within hard circumstances. And the, the thing we landed on was also uh, suffering can cultivate compassion. And that's from the beginning of, I think, Second Corinthians, or maybe First Corinthians. I can't remember. Where God takes us through things, and then God ministers to us through his spirit. We come through, and then now we're equipped to deal with, you know. So anyone who's been through, fill in the blank, whatever your suffering's been through, that is a school that God is training you to then be compassionate towards people you encounter on your journey who've been through the same thing. And I've found that in my life again and again and again. I've been ministered to people. uh, You know, like I've gone through things, and I remember I I used an example on Sunday of me loving on a local pastor who's younger who had a stent put in the same Mm. artery that I had (laughs) and how I just had compassion. But I didn't share, like, when I went through it, um, my mentor, uh, Craig, uh, showed up at the hospital. He's a busy guy because he had already had two stent operations, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, and I just know he could look in my eye and I knew that he knew. And um, and so there's there's no, we can't just make that stuff up. You can still care and feel empathy for someone who's going through something. But I think it's hard to feel true compassion for someone who hasn't also gone through it. Yeah, without walking yeah. in their shoes. So there you go. Yeah. So there's a, that's not a short summation of the service, but, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think I, I did add some things in there of, of things that maybe not cutting room floor. Cause I don't think, I think very little landed on the cutting room floor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know you had a framework moving forward. Yeah. So I think that that's, I think that properly summarizes where we went on Sunday. And I think there was ample, opportunity if we wanted like a, 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 an enormously large sermon to continue to talk about so many of those points. I feel yeah. like I feel like I, I my goal on Sunday was to set literally a framework or a way of thinking about suffering, just touching upon it, just kind of setting it in place and not saying hardly anything about, um, yeah, it'd be interesting down the road if we ever wanted to do a series on suffering to kind of come back and use that template. Yeah. And to kind of have a message that addresses each side of the framework and then some messages that address how God uses suffering for good. I could see that as a potential series. Yeah. But we'll see down the road. It'd be fun. Yeah. Do some specifics in there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So as uh, as I was going through your sermon and and listening and and reading it as well, uh, one of the things that came to mind was, and one of the questions that I've kind of had over time and, and had asked of me, um, we use uh, we use rightfully uh, in this statement uh, this this idea of free will it exists and everything else and that is why a lot of the dominoes land the way they do mm-hmm. in in our lives um, suffering largely uh, exists because of that but on the other side of this we see um, take Jesus he's he's in in place and he's performing miracles but those miracles ultimately ex, uh help a small few uh, when other people have these problems as well um miracles happen today we we could get into that but one of the things i i guess what it kind of came down to 
um, essentially is like, why bring back Lazarus and not somebody else, you know, that had passed? Why bring back, um, we hear these stories of, of kids that survive these miraculous, you know, we call it miraculous. They're, it's, a, it's amazing they survive the condition and this other one doesn't. And I think that's probably one of those things that's the hardest when we're in these situations with suffering to, I've lost this and I'm looking over there and ultimately being jealous, um, and maybe even rightfully so, of somebody's survival of the same circumstance. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that's a big question. Um, that, I mean, that goes into so many different things of trying to understand how our will interacts with God's will and how even time works. Um, you know, we're, we are, we are beings that are trapped within time and God is a timeless being. So, I mean, how I'll answer this will sound like I'm trying to dodge the question and I'm not. Um, I, I, I think that it is above our pay grade. Um, yeah. And 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 I and I say that hesitantly because I, I some of you may have never listened to me, don't know me. I, I'm not a question dodger. That's not. No, my, I know that. Yeah, I know not it's my not deal. you. Over the years, that's where I've landed. Yeah. Um, but I, I got to say, I don't I don't like the answer internally, and I'm not yeah. saying it's a bad one. I just you know it's, that internalness. I think it's insufficient if we don't have all the other stuff. So you know, I mean, would I whether what I said on Sunday is true or not, it feels true to me. It feels like that's what Scripture's saying. That's a lot. Um, You know, the the fact that God loves us, the fact that God agrees with us, the fact that God literally put on flesh and came here to die for us and rise again, the the fact that God is right now through those of us who follow him and his church living into the kingdom that will come to earth and make all things right, you know, that's... That's a substantial amount of answer. <laughs> um, now, it's insufficient to, to my friends, John and Amy, right, who, who are grieving their boy and, and his, his sister Lizzie. It's insufficient to any family that's lost a child or a spouse that's lost someone or a friend. It's, it's often insufficient at funerals for those of us who have to do them regularly. Yeah. I understand that, um, but it's not no answer. There are things that we can say that I think are uh, substantial, um, but for whatever reason, and I think we'll, it'll, you know, Paul says we stare through a glass dimly, and I think that that's accurate. We are not God, and um, even if we are in the fullness of our humanity, we would be limited, and we're not even that. Yeah, we're yeah. plagued with sin and brokenness. So, what we see is distorted and warped, and we can't see very well even the best of us. And so um, it, you know, the, the idea that we could have a brain like God and a mind like God and understand everything and, it, and its full way of being understood is, I don't think many people would argue that, right? And yeah. yet we want that, and that's okay to want that. Yeah, yeah. It's okay to, to, to acknowledge that people want it. I mean, I want it. But, um, I mean, I would go to the book of Job. You know, we spent some time there, and the book of Job is notoriously frustrating, um, (laughs) it's beautifully written. Um, it's perhaps our oldest book in the Bible. It was perhaps, uh, created first. Um, and yeah, but I mean, I, I remember, uh, there was a John Walton, the scholar that I mentioned, uh, he was in with a group of like 40 pastors or so at a week long conference teaching through the book of Job. And so at this, they'd bring in a different scholar every year and, and they'd teach through a book, and these pastors would talk about how would you preach it. And, um, and so I went down for a day just to kind of be, be part of it, and it was fascinating just to listen to them. But you could hear the frustration in the room, like, <laughs> where do you land this plane? Um, because I think Walton is correct, and, and I framed it up really briefly on Sunday, but I think it is testing this idea of the retribution principle. Job's three friends, here's this righteous guy that God allows uh, to have the evil one mess with Job, the cha- or the, the actual, you know, it's not the evil one really, even in the book, it's the challenger, that this challenger is going to mess with Job, test Job's righteousness. And these three friends are really, um, they're embodying this retribution principle from different angles. Come on, Job, what did you do wrong? You know, like yeah, yeah, all this yeah. stuff doesn't just happen to a good guy. You must yeah. be hiding something. That's essentially what they're saying for 35 chapters, right? And... Um, 
Job holds strong to then when he finally breaks and kind of faintly, and I think even humbly ask God, like, hey, I think they're making some good points. What did I do to deserve this? And then God just mic drops him for like yeah, 10 yeah. chapters. And it's really beautiful writing um, about who God is and what God has done and how far above our understanding God operates. Um, but yeah, I think I think sometimes when people have worked through their suffering a little bit and are still wrestling with that question, and I'd encourage you as listeners to, I forget where that begins, like chapter 38 or something like that, where we're God begins to respond to Job and um, and just to read through those chapters. And when you get done, there is no answer. God's yeah. essentially answering for 10 chapters, I'm God, are you kidding me? Like, look at all that I can do and have done and am doing. You got to trust me, is yeah. essentially kind of what God's saying. to you. So that's what I would, that is the answer the scripture gives us. It, it never, it, we're asking a question that, um, the writers of the Hebrew scriptures, the writers of the New Testament, Jesus never really answers. Like Jesus says, you know, the falling tower, the 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 the, the killings, the temple uh, that that he addresses in Luke, and then you know the blind man question in in John nine. Jesus says that the retribution principle isn't correct. He doesn't give us an alternative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't say, well, then, you know, the, 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 who knows? I'm sure the disciples, we, we only have what we have from the scriptures. I mean, did they have asked follow up questions? Like, well, why those 18 people? <laughs> right? Why, and, you know, I, I, I read that long quote from Confront, Confronting Christianity from our, the chapter Rebecca wrote on this, and, and she frames it well. You know, all those tragedies. Why? You know, why those kids? It, it, this school down in Texas, right? Or any yeah. of these, like why those kids? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a, please hear me as a listener. It's a very appropriate question. Um, scripture just doesn't answer it. And, and yet it does, right? It doesn't answer it the way we want it yeah. to be answered. Um, it, it, it does kind of kick it down the road yeah. while at the same time saying, we can maybe maybe we're we should trust God uh, that that God will deal with it um, because of what God's already done, right? I think there kind of been a, there's kind of been a down payment, you know. If you look at the cross as the down payment, <laughs> and well, you know, it's not like God didn't promise that and and bail like He came and and He and and you know, so you know that's the I heard somebody the other day say something in effect of like the cross was the beginning of the end of all evil and suffering. Well, it's still playing out, right? I mean, there's still evil, but it's the beginning of the end, right? We entered a new era, a new time, where that is going to be the foundational cataclysmic event. That's the key that's going to unlock, you know, all... All, the, all of heaven's storehouses of, of redemptive mercy and healing and restoration uh, that will be playing out. And how long will it take? When will that happen? I mean, the martyrs in Revelation, right, is a course. They're crying out, when, Lord? When, yeah. When? Yeah. And I think that's uh, that's an appropriate thing for my friends to cry out. That, that I mentioned their story. For any of you or for myself, when we go through really hard things, why? It's a totally appropriate question. And, and Scripture, you know... Scripture doesn't silence us in that. Um, scripture invites us to do that through, you know, again, I briefly mentioned it, but the laments. Our Psalter is packed full of yeah. laments. <laughs> so it's not like God's like saying, like, I'm I'm not I'm not giving you a direct answer to that question. I'm gonna give you a foundational answer. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into all the the reasons why you couldn't even understand. I almost feel like God's saying like you couldn't, you wouldn't even be able to follow. Like, yeah. Yeah. But like, trust a, me on, on another end, that's a probably fairly accurate statement. It's probably fair. I mean, uh, right. It's all the, the finite complex. trying to understand the infinite and we, yes. we have that limitation. That's just reality. Yeah. I mean, I read, I read that, that, uh, dust Dostoevsky quote on, on Sunday, um, from, from brothers Karamazov. And, um, and yeah, I mean, you can, I won't read it again here, but you can go back in the message and listen to it. I thought he beautifully dealt with that of just, you know, he, he's an incredible writer, obviously, but you know, that he can see this day, like when, 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 when everything that's ever been done, I can't remember exact term, will, will be made right. I mean, that's essentially what he's saying. Yeah. Or Tolkien's, you know, great line, Samwise is everything sad going to be made untrue. That's maybe the simplest way of saying it. And yeah. Gandalf just laughs. 
and and it's a joyous laugh of like, yeah. of course. Uh, what would that look like? I don't know, but I, I have to believe that it's possible. So I understand a listener listening to that answer to your yeah, intuitive question can be frustrated by that. Um, but I also want to answer honestly, we're asking a question God is not ready to answer right now. The scriptures don't provide an answer, and Job's an example of that, and I think there's other places. So, yep. But it's not that there's no answer, not that the, the Psalms don't give us room to grieve in the midst of not having sufficient answers. They do. God invites that. God understands that's a frustrating... I think God understands it's a frustrating answer. Yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah, and the incompleteness fair. is difficult, <laughs> and the shadow lands are a hard space, and, and when we cry as Jesus cried... Um, we're we're joining with the incarnate God in that, and that we're is is I define lament is agreeing with God that things are not right. God's not arguing with that. Like yes, cry, be angry, doubt me if you will. We'll talk about that this coming Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's kind of the best I got. And and it, again, I wish for someone who likes to plow down into the minutia of every answer and try to be as precise as I can. It's a hard one, yeah, and it's a difficult one. But um, again, I think back where Nicholas Wolterstorff ended, and he's far more brilliant than I can ever pretend to be as a philosopher. Um, he got it down to almost that childlike understanding revelation that that the ultimate answer to that question is that God is not. He says something to the effect of God is not the one who explains our sufferings, but He's the one who enters our sufferings. It's a heck of an answer. I mean, right? I mean, I mean, we want yeah. both, right? We'd like yeah. both, but God doesn't choose to explain our sufferings. And I would just say, if you're looking for pastoral advice, just don't try to go that route. I think we're almost going down the karma route when we're doing that. We're trying to say, why did, why did, what did I do wrong? Yeah. What yeah. could I have done differently? And it's totally normal, and every human's going to do that. Yeah, I understand it, but my in an answer. Yes. And, yeah. But my encouragement is that there's no answer. There's no you're not going to find anything. And like, you know, my my friend uh, Jimmy, years ago, he lost his brother to cancer when he was in high school, and he he left me with this great image that, you know, he said when I kind of asked him once, like, how was your response in your faith journey as a young believer when your brother died? And you know, and he was like, I don't know, fifteen, sixteen, or something like that when his brother mm-hmm. died. And uh, he said, I just beat on God's chest in anger until I was so exhausted I just fell into his arms. And it's, it's always hung with mm. me. It's that in, and it came from a very earnest place, as he told me. I think we were backpacking. And That's a beautiful picture. It is a beautiful that, picture, yeah. and I think God invites that. So some of our like wanting to know why, what did I do wrong, why me, why not this person, um, is that beating on the chest, and God's like, beat away. Beat away. One day you'll understand. One day, you know, and, and look at what I've already done. Trust me. And let me just hold you for a while when you get tired beating. Yeah. You know, I'm here. Yeah. I mean, you know, Peter at the end of John's gospel um, essentially asked this question. You know, when, you know, Jesus redeems him on the breakfast on the beach and do you love me? Do you love me? And that, that conversation, feed my sheep. And then it says, it's kind of this cryptic passage where uh, Jesus tells him that one day people will lead him away in his old age and stretch out his arms, which most scholars think that's, you know, we think that Peter died traditionally on a cross, and we think that, that Jesus is telling him that's, that's you're going to... what's coming. It, it's, so, it's kind of funny. It's so like Peter, it's so like humans. He points to John. It's like, well, what about that guy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right? He hasn't yeah, even I happened mean, to him yet, yeah. and Peter's already wanting explanations. He's wanting like, well, why me? Like, why not? Why can't... Look at John. He always gets the good seat of the table. Like, you know, he's your favorite. You know, John referred to himself as the, the, one, the disciple Jesus loved which yeah, I was yeah. I, I was like it's kind of it's beautiful and also like oh okay it's funny yeah yeah um, I always wondered how tongue-in-cheek that was. totally I mean I wonder how the rest of the disciples thought you know but I mean I, maybe there was some of that like John you know we think John's the one disciple that didn't get martyred right he, he died yeah. of old age and so why well you know why me why do I have to go through this and totally totally appropriate question and please don't hear me saying it's not God invites that question God just doesn't answer it the way we want it. God answers yeah. it in a macro way, but not in a micro way. And um, 
it's it's hard. I wish I could provide a better answer, but I haven't found one. And maybe somebody far smarter than me that hasn't seen somebody that <laughs> something I've seen will finally crack the code and come up with the uh, you know the, the the theorem on why this happens to this person but not this person. I doubt it though. Yeah, yeah, I doubt I, it. I can appreciate the honesty and authenticity to that though. And you also, you, you get into uh, space-time continuums, you get into free will, yeah. and again, you know enough, you know, you're theologically trained, you know, and, and those of you out there that are know, just in theological history, you have like a reformed mindset or a heavenly Calvinistic mindset that leans really heavily in the sovereignty of God, or maybe an Armenian concept that leans really heavily into yeah. free will, yeah. and then you have kind of this this new group of called open theist that that believe that God chooses to operate within our space-time continuum and that God literally chooses to place himself in a position where he doesn't know what we're going to choose. Which again, I don't hold that uh, for the yeah. record, but there are some really uh, prominent theologians that do hold that. So there's all kind of things people are trying to understand why and and I think at the end of the day I think it's futile to be honest. I think that's what Job is telling us. I think that's the power of the book of Job. Yeah, I think that's a great point of of the the flashlight that is Job. Yeah, and I don't know that we'll ever do it as a series because it's going to be so frustrating. (laughs) It's like, you know, I mean, one, it's really long. Like, and so how do you teach, you know, could you imagine, how do you teach 35 chapters or whatever it is of his friends basically just trying on the retribution principle for size, right? I mean, it's really difficult to... Trying to beat the truth out of it. Yes, and then you have the 10 chapters is the end, and then it's just over. Yeah, you're like, that's it. It's yeah. the end. Yeah, but you know, maybe you could teach it in in a couple messages. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll have to give it a go at one point. But I would think sitting here today, having not, di- having dived deeply into it, um, I think that's the power of it in the biblical canon. Like, don't don't waste your breath trying to do. It. You're not God, and um, trust God. Trust the God that put on flesh and came here, entered the arena died for you and I, suffered for you and I, shared and bared all the evil and suffering in the world, broke it, and provides a pathway forward that all things will be made right. It's a heck of an, that's a heck of an answer. And again, coming back to, to, to the macro idea around this message, I'm more than willing to hold up that answer to any other paradigm or any other, yeah, not that yeah. it's a competition per se, but it's not a completely satisfying answer, I acknowledge, but it's a really good one. I feel like it's the best one out I there. And that's, I, I'm with you. In that. I mean, obviously, we're Christians, and we're gonna, you know, we're have, we'll have, we have confirmation bias going on and on all those things. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean, I know you and I have thought about it a ton, and um, yeah, I think it's a really good one. I think it's far more satisfactory than karma. I mean, that's such a haunting way to frame suffering, yeah. or it's even worse. And all due respect to my my many kind and generous and loving atheist friends. Oh my goodness, you know, and they, they know I feel this way, but it's a, yeah. it's a difficult one. Like, how can you, what do you say? You can, I mean, you can, it's, a, it's, it's, it's hard. Empty. It's, it's very empty. It's, yeah. it's, it's nihilism, you know, <laughs> and you can Google that term if you don't know what it is. But I mean, that's people who are nihilistic. Again, I think Richard Dawkins is nihilistic to a degree. Um, I understand they're being faithful to their to their their belief system. I think that's yeah. where it like I think nihilism is where it ends um, for that for that thought system, and I don't think that's a satisfying way to. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. We're getting <laughs> off topic. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate that, John. As as far as that thought process goes, now as we get a little bit. Uh, further, I guess, in our lives and, and the things that go on around us. Um, uh, I was just with a friend uh, through a funeral last week, um, and I think a few weeks before that. Um, tips, I guess, for those of us that may not be in the middle of the actual suffering, but standing next to our friend that is. Um, mm-hmm. What tips do you have for us as we're called to love and care for them uh, and be there for them through this process? Yeah. I think, you know, I've, I've made all these mistakes and and still do. I think for those out there who are like me and just, it's very natural for you to run your mouth and say lots of things. Um, and even for those who are maybe that's not your, that's not your deal. And, and you're not as verbose. I think when we're placed in those positions, um, our natural instinct is to talk 
and to try to to fill up the void of silence and say comforting platitudes and things and almost always they're stupid yeah and yeah. and they're not helpful yeah. and even if they're true and even if you're a christian and you're talking to another christian almost always later when you think about it, you're like why did i say that that's the stupidest oh, thing man, there's one that still haunts me from like a year ago <laughs> yeah and i mean our hearts are really good and i think most people will give us the benefit of the doubt even in the throes of sorrow but we're kind of adding baggage to somebody that's already there so i think my number one thing um is just shut up <laughs> you know go, yeah. go in picture yourself with duct tape on your mouth and um be embodied, just be present or don't be present, you know? And I, 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 going back to, you know, I mean, it's been a decade now, but, and I've had numerous other things that I've passed through as a pastor, but probably none as, as difficult as the one I talked about on Sunday, but just thinking about how I was trying to learn to show up with, with, with John and Amy and, and Lizzie and even coming home, you know, to their house after, after you know Amy got out of the hospital and re-entering that home where literally yeah. they were making a meal and and they were just doing life and you know left to have lunch with John at his work right and yeah. then this un- inexplicable horrible tragedy happens and this little girl Lizzie you know who was you know like five at the time you know we brought in professionals obviously to help us think through that and yeah. and you know I think that's another one lean into experts there are people that have been trained in this and know this field uh caregivers and um yeah even pastors that this is kind of their specialty care pastors and whatnot but uh, yeah i mean that would be the chief one just shut up (laughs) just (laughs) don't say anything and then um you know i i've learned this in in my marriage, I'm, I'm still learning it. My wife would say I'm listening to her whisper in my ear, even though she's not here. But, <laughs> you know, I, and I want to be careful with like, you know, gender things to say that husbands always do this. But I, I tend to think husbands tend to do this. Um, you know, when my wife's going through something or my daughters are, still my knee-jerk reaction is try to fix it or yeah. give advice. And so I don't know how many times I've hit my head against this brick wall. And, <laughs> you know, Corey will be crying or one of our girls and what's wrong and they tell me and I was like oh well yeah you should just do this <laughs> all the veteran yeah, husbands out helpful. there are just like you know <laughs> and so you know through counseling and through you know lots of hardship you know I've learned and I'm still learning that I need to start by just listening just shut up and I have to tell myself that all the time just shut up yeah, yeah. and and what I've le- what I try to practice is um, be quiet until I'm asked to talk. And sometimes, you know, you know, I, I even, I've started saying this to my girls, is this a time that you want me to listen or do you want me to help? <laughs> you know, like, do, are you looking <laughs> for advice? You that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or are you, you know, <laughs> and, and I think that, that sometimes, it, so I'm not saying we'd be that perfunctory with somebody going through sorrow, but um, almost, right? And I think you'll know, and I think there'll come a point in their journey where they're like, you know, and, and a lot of times as a pastor, it's like, like they don't even know how to begin to do, to to set up, you know, a funeral or a burial or you know, yeah. there's just there's just things, you know. Hey, do you need meals? You know, I, so I think if you say anything, I think it's, hey, how can I serve you? What what can I do? I'm here, like, or I don't need to be here. Like, if you want quiet time, I'm fine to leave. Is that helpful? Sometimes I ask, is that helpful for me to be here? Um, and and then like, is there anything I can do? What's weighing on you right now? You know, what's what's pressuring? Is there anything we can do to take off some of that pressure? How can I serve you, I think, is another question. That's probably not going to offend many people. But, yeah, I mean, there's in Ecclesiastes, it's like laugh with those who laugh, weep with those who weep. And um, there'll be times even in in navigating suffering and sorrow that um, people need to laugh. And I remember times with John and Amy and Lizzie that we would laugh, you know, and— but you got to be careful, right? And you got to kind of let that come naturally. And there's yeah. moments, and you go from laughter to tears. But um, you're dealing with humans whose lives aren't over, right? And they're they're having to figure out a way forward. And I think you get this like this holy space. It's kind of one of those Celtic thin spaces where you're just, you get the privilege of being with these people. These life altering moments that are horrific. 
but also as followers of Jesus, we believe that God can come into that and and bring some good eventually out of it. And so, yes, I think that that, you know, quiet um, prayer, as you're being quiet, what do you do? Pray, you know, pray for them and pray for God's presence. And then, yeah, really simple things like, what can I do to take things off your plate? What are, do you need meals? What do you, and then trying to solve any possible thing you can that, that even if it's trivial to something that's big, okay, let me try to get to work on that. I'll get some people to work on that. I think that, that that is, that is helpful. Finding, um, yeah, leaning into experts. I said that already. Um, and then, um, I think, uh, yeah, I think that um Yeah, I think there's the the checking in aspect too that I I often do through through text but letting people know that um they're not forgotten. Yeah. And I think yeah. for for people a lot of times they think the hardest time is when it when suffering initially happens. A lot of times the hardest time is um is down the road. And it's months down the road where everybody's kind of disappeared and the reality of what life has become is upon, be it a diagnosis, be it a loss of someone. I mean, we're we're generalizing suffering, so that can manifest in so many different ways. But almost for all of them, the hardest time is when you get into the rhythms like, no, this is is the new normal. And, oh my goodness, you know, everybody's kind of (laughs) left. And so I think... And then I think also with, with the experts, if there's specific things they're going through that, that supersedes your own ability, if you're that person with that, yeah, just reach out and try to, try to you, you know, reach out to somebody that knows what they're talking about, whether you're dealing with a child or a medical diagnosis or whatever. Just be quick to acknowledge that we may not be the person that solves a lot of the needs they're going through that we need to reach out and find somebody that is. And we can do that. We can yeah. use our resources. So those are a few things that I've, <laughs> I've learned. <laughs> I've learned the hard way, Yeah, you know, yeah. but I think there's no substitution. And, and again, maybe, maybe reverse engineer the question um, and ask yourself what was helpful for you when you've been through something. Um, I think you'll find the same types of answers. Um, yeah. And maybe yeah. you haven't been through something really point. horrific yet, but like what has been helpful, what's not been helpful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then <laughs> do the one and don't do the other. I think it's a really, it's you know, for people that are not going to remember in the moment, like just trust your intuition. And, um, and those of us who have been through hard things, like the last thing I want is somebody all up in my ear giving me a bunch of, you know, I came in people when you're going through suffering, you can't even think clearly. It's it's you're not following logic. You yeah. know, you don't need somebody to like, right? You just need somebody to be with you. And yeah. and and I think another one that I would say is um is uh distractions great in times like this. And we tend to like let's not over spiritualize things. Um yeah. my buddy who had who had just lost a friend uh the other week and uh, I was checking in with him Sunday before we were going our separate ways and uh I could tell it was still kind of weighing on him, and he was going to essentially go home and be alone today. I knew what his schedule was, and I was like, hey, man, go go watch a, go watch a comedy. Yeah. And uh, he asked me what, and I, I told him to go watch Dodgeball. That's always one of my go-tos there. <laughs> Dodgeball. <laughs> wow. He did. I got that's... a text later on. We were laughing about it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's... Yeah I, yeah, I mean, you know, go see the new Top Gun movie, whatever. That may not be everybody's jam, right? Um, yeah. But like, or whatever that person loves and, and ministers to them a, a good meal or something, right? Because we're human. We can only sustain sitting in that that mess for so long, uh, whatever it is. So I think, you know, f- be practical, be pragmatic. So sometimes they just need, they just need to get out for a walk. Or they need yeah. to take a shower, or you know, there, there's things like that. Or I yeah. think there's just, you know, if you if you ever if you if you know people that have been trained in hospice, uh, those kind of things, those are those are incredible people to ask these questions to, right? Because I mean, they're veterans and sitting with people and families as they pass through unimaginable sorrow and pain, and uh, again, just lean into. And I think that most of my friends that are trained in hospice would say these types of things yeah, that we're yeah. saying. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, John. Um, I think with that, uh, today would be a great day for you to close with prayer yeah. um, for some of these things that we know that are out there. 
Yeah, yeah. Let me pray. Yeah, God, we uh, we pray for everyone who's uh, who's listening uh, to to this podcast, and and even for the folks that were in our church on Sunday hearing the message, and may listen uh, afterwards to the message, and. Uh, so many people that have been through so many hard difficulties and, and just looking out Sunday and seeing faces and knowing stories, um, things that people have gone through, things that they're going through, things that we all will go through uh, in the shadow land, to C.S. Lewis calls it, um, it's tough, suffering and evil, uh, Jesus weeping at, at the tomb of Lazarus is is fitting, and we all have many of those moments in in our journey uh, through our lives and, and, and through, through our brief sojourn on earth. And um, so God, I, whatever those things are, however they're represented today with, with the listeners, um, I just pray that you would be close to them. Um, the psalmist says that you're close to the brokenhearted and uh, close to those who are crushed in spirit. And, um, if that's you today, then be comforted because God is is close to you. And I think we see this in Jesus as we just watch Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus gravitated towards uh, the folks that were the most vulnerable, the folks that were broken, the folks that were discarded, the folks that were in the throes of grief and suffering. And then I often picture Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, literally so broken emotionally that that Jesus was sweating blood. And so uh, God has been there. God has felt the throes of sorrow. And um, God has walked through our planet and, and borne the burden of, uh, of our suffering. And so we can take heart uh, through that. And um, so, yeah, I just uh, maybe we close today with that image from Hebrews um, that we are called to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. A scorning its shame and set down at the right hand of of uh, of God the Father and that's where our king reigns and Jesus has been through the gauntlet on our behalf and um, set his face with joy to passing through that and uh, has been lifted high and glorified and placed at the right hand of God and that's the trajectory of all of us who place our hope in Jesus and um, so may that provide you comfort and solace today in what you're going through. And if you're part of our church community here, even if you're not and you're listening to this, um, we're with you. And if you're going through hardship, we grieve with you. Uh, but we also hope with you because of Jesus. And we pray this in his matchless name. Amen. Amen. John, thanks for hanging out today yep. and uh, chatting. And thanks to the listeners. And we'll catch up with you all next week. Thanks for listening to New Hope's Cutting Room Floor Podcast. And don't forget to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check out newhopepdx.org to get to know us more.